Just wait. Okay. You'll wait and right. see. Fucking right. right. hold on to your horses, brother. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another episode of the Bright Now Podcast. We're recording this on Saturday, January 13th, 2024, 1.09 p.m. Eastern Time. My name is Dash, and I am the Kurt Warner to my Larry Fitzgerald, the guy who's about to be as old as Pete Carroll. TJ, how are you doing, brother? Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Shit, looks like even the Nuggets are, are taking that third spot too recently. Yeah, no, I mean, even even being a super, super, super young NBA fan, obviously not super tapped in, only being, I think, what, five years old when it happened, but the historically, uh, the, the 3-1 comeback of the Suns did pull off uh, that Kobe Bryant, though, the, the game four, uh, 
Golly, that is one of the craziest shots. I know you said he pops up on your timeline over and over, but for good reason. I mean, that floater uh, coming down off the tip, it looks like he damn near got fouled on that one. Uh, absolutely absurd. The celebration looks cool as shit, too, even as a Kobe Bryant hater back then. Uh, it, it just, like you said, there's, there's a lot of historical animosity from us Suns fans. Uh, even looking back in the earlier days, in that 2021 run that we had made, I mean, everybody still plays that video of Andre Drummond just absolutely deriding LeBron with a little tango move. <laughs> <laughs> and you got Anthony Davis coming on uh, post game after we beat them in game six saying that, you know, these guys would stand no chance if we we're healthy out here. Well, AD, that's been an issue with your whole career. So, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, buddy, but I think that it it, it is cool. Uh, I think that we do still have a chance as much as we can be negative towards the Suns of this year and what, what the struggles that we've seen. I'm not super scared uh, facing off against them in, in, a, in a playoff series. I almost think that'd be pretty fucking cool. Um, we can go ahead and see, you know, with our big three, the first game that we play, we go ahead and womp them. Uh, it, it's a 30-point game going to that third quarter, and as we'll touch on later on, uh, the, the fourth quarter struggles continue to, to be very prevalent. But I'm not scared of these guys, and historically, I think it's time for us to, you know, I, I know we're a few banners behind, but uh, we go ahead and make that run going. <laughs> yeah, you know, just a few. This is, just even a few. though the, the Lakers shouldn't count those Minneapolis ones Fuck anyway. no. So screw Fuck those no. guys. They, George they, they, Mikan. Well, have you ever even seen a lake in in Los Angeles and California? Come on, man. They don't Never. Even have lakes. Bogus. Never. But yeah, so, did you want to touch on anything historically, or should we hop into what what we saw? I, I'm ready to dive into this latest game. Uh, as I said before, we beat them 127 to 109, and honestly, the final score wasn't even totally indicative of how that game felt start to finish. Uh, mm-hmm. Beal he leads the way for us with 37 points, eight for 10 from three. Uh, Great debut for, game. Oh, basically, basically yeah, honestly. <laughs> 10 for 13 from the field in the second half with five threes. Booker tacked on another 31 points, five assists, and three steals with 16 points in the first quarter. He just came out of the gates firing. KD with 18 points on really efficient, seven for 12 shooting, five assists, three steals, and a block. It really just felt like they just took care of business. Like If you just look at the stats for that game, our next, our next leading scorer was Yusuf Nurkic with nine points. And honestly, I felt great about it. That's exactly kind of how our scoring breakdown should go most nights if everything's yep. working well. Uh, the, uh, then the the next best part of this whole game was the Lakers' big two just really didn't show up. LeBron finished with 10 points, 3 for 11 from the field. It seemed like he sensed it early that this game was getting out of hand for them. I know yep. early in the second quarter he starts belly aching about that ankle roll, really drags it out like LeBron always does. If he gets a bump or a scratch, he's going to act like he got stabbed or shot. The body language uh, was there for sure, right? Absolutely. He just did not. It just seemed like it was just not their night. Anthony Davis with 13 points, 6 for 11. They combined for only 6 in the second half in total, which is a little skewed because they didn't play in the fourth. But then their leading scorer ended up being D'Angelo Russell with 19. Uh, just based on kind of our big three versus their big two, how how did you feel about that performance? No, it felt super cool, and it's just, you know, they talked about it on the broadcast the whole time, but, you know, Bradley Beal coming out here looking a lot more natural with his movement, getting better timing on some of those and ones that he had, and, and, and actually making layups. We've seen a bunch of games recently where Bradley Beal is just missing point blank at the rim, and it felt like a lot of his, his shots were confidence-based, um, and it's kind of something, a bigger picture that I want to talk about. 
um, with this, it looked like the Suns were having fun for the first time. I mean, even on that, I think we won five of our last eight games. We had, you know, those really bad losses recently, but it looked like these guys were actually having fun. You see Bradley Beal out there smiling. You see Kevin Durant guarding LeBron full court, guarding him the yeah. whole game, which is super cool to see. It's seen Devin it's Booker. Bad. You know, we like to talk about the, the mid-range shots that people don't love, but Shit, with those Devin Booker, those six feet away from the basket, eight feet away from the baskets, you want those being taken because that man is wet. Wet. But, no, I really liked what I was seeing. It seemed like they, you know, if the big three can continue to just find the weakest link and just go at it, which was Austin Reeves this game, Mm because they were just picking at that man over and over and over. And it was just a sight to see. Really liked what I saw from there. And then speaking as a big three as a whole or just the Phoenix Suns as a whole, I mean, we're going to win games when we shoot more shots than the other team. Uh, the, the pace being picked up a little bit more. Uh, it seems like threes were an emphasis, which I love to see. I know me and you were talking about that. Did you did you have not- did you have notice the yeah. three-point shooting going up? Yeah, absolutely. And and Booker had even mentioned it in the, in the press conference too. It was in the same conference where he had said that KD came to him before the game and said, hey, focus on being aggressive. I, I'll get myself involved if I have to. I mean, shit. He's basically thinking, motherfucker, I played with Russell Westbrook. I know how to find my <laughs> shots in the flow of a game when guys are dominating the ball. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and in that same in that same breath, Booker mentions that they do they they do need to shoot more threes because they have elite shooters across the board. We got the top mm. two shoot three point shooters in the league with KD and Grayson Allen. It just makes sense for us to take more, especially with the way our team's built. That's what we spent so much of Tuesday's pod talking about. Is just how our play style can improve if we can just get more shots up. In this game, it, it really did come down to just the Suns flat out making more shots. Uh, we had six more field goals overall off thirteen more attempts. Uh, they, they handle the turnover battle with seven more points off turnovers than the other team. Win the free throw contest as well. 21 makes to 16, which is really good, especially against a Lakers team who we just flat out know gets the most calls in the league. That's what happens when you have LeBron on your team. <laughs> that uh, Toronto game we saw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so the, the one semi-negative part, which I hesitate to even bring up, was that we do lose the fourth quarter again. None of the Lakers stars touched the floor in that 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 final minute or the final twelve. Uh, Booker played four and a half minutes. KD was six. Beal with two and a half. So still kind of confused as to why those guys got so much run in the fourth, specifically KD there. But yeah. hey, we were up one hundred five to seventy eight. We're up twenty seven at the end of the third. I, I I can live with us kind of losing that when we have most of our bench squad in. That's kind of what happens. But so I don't kind of have to take that quarter with a grain of salt, and that's why I think that the final score wasn't really reflective of the whole game. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and just some of the vibes things I kind of wanted to touch on was, you know, Josh Okoge had a stretch right there where uh, the Lakers were kind of getting on a run, and he just had a, a steal. He had that crazy and one dunk. He had that the triple pump dunk. fake, Ugh. huge dunk on, on Hayes. Uh-huh. Uh, the, I don't know if you saw it, but the, the triple pump fake that he had, Bradley Beal gave him an absolute dot. And he saw that, I think it was AD and LeBron in the paint. And Kogi, I mean, I would do the same shit. He did uh, 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 three pump fakes and went up and got the and one, actually, which just f- further killed any sense of momentum that the Lakers were gaining. Frank Vogel called a timeout right before then. So it seems like we're improving on little things. I don't want to overreact. I know we've seen some of the similar things over and over throughout the season. But, you know, this, this is a good step in the right direction. Uh, this is not going to change the, necessarily the grade that I've given this team so far. But... 
we continue to show consistency, uh, I I think I, I think I have some faith in the Suns team. Um, also, I saw quite a few possessions where it looked like what it's supposed to. I mean, the the big three driving and, and kicking and just having extra passes. Yusuf Nurkic had a play where you know he comes down with the ball, Devin Booker's calling for it, and you know you usually want to be like, hey, get the fuck, you know, get get the ball to D book and get out the way. But I, Nurkic saw something really smart. He had D'Angelo Russell, uh, Bull Bull was deep in the paint. Pushes it coast to coast, Yusuf Nurkic down and finds Bobo in the paint with D'Angelo Russell on him and just gets an easy bucket. It's just little things like that, having the other guys making plays in that sense, where need be, uh, just really happy. And like I said, it all goes back to the Suns having fun on the court. Fun. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That that having that fun and the joy just lets you be more free to make the those high IQ plays, just like Nurk is talking about. He's got an excellent basketball IQ. Uh, Book, Beal, Durant, all the same things. I, I think Grayson Allen, four years under Coach K, like he's going to know a thing or two about basketball. Eric Gordon, just an absolute journeyman in this league, knows it, it, all the kind of tricks in the book as an old scorer. So yeah. I, I definitely feel you there that when the joy is up, all of that other stuff is going to be clicking on a high cylinder. Uh, it did also seem like Bradley Beal came into this game hearing that that talk about Reeves versus Beal that Nick, that <laughs> your boy uh, your boy Nick Wright had kind of started. <laughs> Uh, and so I do want to say uh, I do I think that takes ridiculous to say that you'd rather have Reeves as your third option than Beal, but I do yeah. see his logic there with thinking like Reeves is much more ready and willing to defer to other guys and can make those kind of those smarter passes. But Beal is just flat out better. Like he's he's mm-hmm. a killer, and you can't put those guys they aren't even the same echelon of players. So it's just a ridiculous take to say. But it felt like he heard it, and specifically in that second half where he was just absolutely on a tear, just dominant. Yeah, and just to clarify for all the fans, we do not rock with Nick Wright. Just just a heads up. I mean, unless you want to do a collaboration, Nick Wright, we love you. I think <laughs> think LeBron takes for really intelligent. You saying that he's gonna be really good. Uh, I thought that was really smart of you. Um, but no, otherwise, I think you're right. Just like I was saying, they're picking at Austin Reeves and you know taking shit personal, which I love to see, especially with these two teams being so close in the conference standings at the moment, and the Suns just mm-hmm. etching that lead even more. Uh, really happy to see that. Do you have anything else you want to touch on the Suns game before we go into the deeper league stuff? No, it's nice. We we had belly ached uh, ourselves on that Tuesday part about how we don't. The only team we'd beaten in the division was the Warriors, so we get another. Uh, Got another crack at the Lakers and finally get to take one home. So so that's really fantastic to see. And let's just hope we can kind of continue to build off of it. And just, hey, let it fly, fellas. Let it fly. Yes, sir. All right, let's hop into everybody's favorite discussion. The MVP coming up after the break. Noise. Beast mode. Beast mode. <laughs> super, super mega beast mode. And we're back. And me and TJ are going to be predicting the potential 2024 MVPs. And I'll start off. Right off the bat, and I'm not breaking any news with this one. I'm not really, oh, what? Huh? It's Nikola Jokic. He's played 38 out of 40 games this year, has never played under 69 games in a season. So it seems like a pretty good bet that he'll get over that 65-game hump. But hear me out. When we talk about the cream of the crop, the guy who's an entire engine of an offense, a guy who cares about nothing more than winning basketball games, his family and taking care of horses, a guy who's who we've seen rub off on the rest of his teammates to be better basketball players by being willing to make extra passes, not care about outside factors, being open about big moments and how his guys need to respond. And, and I haven't even brought up numbers yet. Let's go counting stats. My favorite part, 
9.2 assists on his lowest turnover percentage of his career. Add in almost 12 rebounds a game. Sprinkle on top 25.5 points on 57, 35, 82 shooting splits. Damn near triple-double on 65% shooting. You want me to go deeper into the numbers? He's leading the league in box plus minus with an astounding 13.8, which would break the record for best in the season. And do you know whose record he's breaking, TJ? His own from the 21-22 season. He is flat out the most valuable player in the league. No ands, ors, ifs, or buts about it. The only reason he wouldn't win this season, barring injury, is if the voters' fatigue is strong enough to sway them away from you know someone who plays a little better defense, even though, for the record, he is leading the league in defensive box plus minus at the same time, which would be my case for the dude I have next, but I don't even know if the other two matter. He has the moments too, TJ. Hear me out. That huge comeback win against the Warriors where he hits a damn near half-court three to get his team the dub against the dubs. Showing the most fucking uh, emotion we've ever seen from Jokic, even after winning the championship. You could also slide in the moments where he only misses like one or two shots in his games, but you don't even need those for his already convincing case. No, it laid it on pretty thick there. And I got uh, Jokic is on my list. Uh, he's definitely in the on the very short list in this conversation for the award. Uh, I think the biggest knock that you could probably say against Jokic is that, like like we saw in that Pistons game where he only takes four shots, and the way they finished last season with him kind of taking some more games off down the stretch to prepare for the championship run, is he doesn't really care about the MVP award, it seems, and part of it is having to go out night to night and showing that you are the MVP, which it feels like, my number one guy is doing and he's very he's trying very hard to specifically win this award but you definitely can't go wrong with that uh it's very possible especially just considered the value to his team and how much worse they would be without him mm-hmm. uh like they actually have to like deandre jordan gets minutes some nights for that team you know <laughs> what i mean so like they need they if he wasn't around they would be uh middle of the pack to play in team for sure so I, I definitely hear you there, and you, you just can't kind of you really can't argue anything against that. Uh, so going into my number one is this is the guy who I think is pretty consensus if the season ended right now is going to be the MVP of this season, and that's Joel Embiid. Uh, it's an absolutely historic offensive season. I, I know the big knock against him is is he even going to be able to get to that sixty five game mark? I think he's only got like eight or nine left to miss if he does want to hit that mark. But I think he's keeping an eye on that and understands. I think the team understands. Like, they're not going to sit him too many games once it comes down to that award season. Uh, But I just want to put in context how historic this season is by Joel Embiid because it's not really getting talked about enough. Obviously, it's 34 points a game. Uh, uh, Absolutely ridiculous scoring. We all see the free throw numbers. He can get to the line better than anybody in the league. Uh... But I need to take us all the way back to 1962 for this. In that se- that's the season Wilt averaged 50.4 points per game for the Philadelphia Warriors. Uh, they averaged, in that season, 131 team possessions per game. For, for context, this year, the 76ers are only averaging 99 possessions per game. So that pace back then was just absolutely ridiculous, and that's helped lead him to 50.4 points. So... If you go down and kind of do the do, do the math on it and look at the per 36 minutes, Embiid's averaging 36.5, and Wilt was only averaging 37.4. So if he was playing at that pace, he would be averaging 50 points a game. So far, this, this season, Embiid is averaging 49 points per 100 possessions. 
So he, he's basically there. An average NBA game is 100 possessions if you were to just play the entire game. So he score, that's Wilt's best scoring season, and he's only a point behind, 0.9 points behind his per 36 points per game number. So it's absolutely insane to see a center doing this in 2024, especially after all the talk about the center position is dying, all this stuff. But to see how big man this dominant, obviously his usage percentage is crazy high. He leads the league in that. But for good reason. The Sixers are 3-7 and seven without him this year with some kind of bad losses to the Pelicans, the Hawks, the Jazz, and Chicago. So I, that's why he'd be my pick as of right now. And I think just that's pretty much the consensus across the league. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to hit you with something, TJ. I think, I think it's very, you know, I think it's very admirable that you went down there and, and dug deep in the trenches to compare pace. But I do want to remind everybody that Wilt Chamberlain did not win the MVP that year. And I think it's going to be the same case with Joel Embiid this year. I don't think, and, and it goes into the playing games part. It goes into the, uh, I, I, obviously I understand his plus minus is huge. And like you said, his impact on the court, but man, I just, I just don't know if the voters are going to love the way that he gets to the line. I mean, we've seen it time in and time out again, that he consistently gets to the line through some absolute bullshit, uh, being 280 pounds and getting hacked on there. But I'll be honest, you know, everybody probably knows who listens to this podcast. I'm not the biggest uh, Joel Embiid guy in the entire planet. Uh, any rebuttal to that? Well, I would say that most voters don't watch the games anyway. So <laughs> what the hell do they care? They're going to look up the numbers anyway. And in terms of just value to his team, if he wasn't on that roster, where the hell would the Sixers be right now? I, I know we both love Maxi. He's not a number. He can't be your number one. Tobias Harris can't be your We saw what Tobias Harris was like as a number one. Yeah, uh, it's Joel, Joel Embiid is he's the front runner right now, and I think that's if you look at any list published by any of the major publications, it looks like Embiid is leading that race. Even if he's not necessarily the best player on the planet, he's it, it, in terms of value this season, it's going to be hard to vote against him. You're right, and I, I'm just being a hater. Like you said, if if the season did end today, Joel Embiid would probably be the most valuable player. Um, but I'll go up into my next guy. Um, it's going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo playing 37 out of 38 games this year. Seems like the kind of dude that might have not always gotten over that 65-game threshold just because of the load management rules, but you could suck it up for a season. I mean, now if you really can't get over the defensive optics of, of Jokic and you want to go more narrative-based, I think you can make a compelling argument for the Greek freak winning the 2024 MVP. So... This guy who has seemed to be taken for granted already, Giannis Antetokounmpo is almost in a LeBron-like manner where you know he's averaging 31 points, 11 and a half rebounds, and six assists on 65% true shooting. I mean, the, the run and dunk man knows exactly what his bread and butter is. And the funniest part about it is that I think everybody else in the league does too. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop about it. I mean, he's shooting by far the most shots in the restricted area with almost 12 and converting on a whopping 78% of them. We saw that in Boston recently. He punished Wemby when he thought he had any chance of stopping the freak when it really came down to it. And in every game you're watching him, there's at least one ballerina-like spin that turns into just an absolute ferocious dunk. That's one of my favorite plays in the entire league. I mean, the 6'11", 240-pounder is almost is coming off a uh, fairly disappointing loss in the playoffs. I mean, he did hurt his back, but a lot of people are already forgetting about that. And not to mention, that team is quietly creeping up on the Boston Celtics for that number one seed. We've seen Boston lose to the Pacers recently, not having some of the best performances just with JT being out and everything. And, you know, if he can do it and earn that number one seed, I see as to no reason why he shouldn't be this year's MVP. And I didn't even mention that. Is he one of the greatest help defenders of all time? I rest my case. No, and before I kind of counter that, 
I do want to clarify for the people. I have Giannis's shoes. I had his biography. I got a Funko Pop of the dude. Uh, I'm a huge Giannis fan, just as, as an NBA fan. I know what he did to the Suns in the finals, but hey, you, you kind of got to tip your hat to what he did. I didn't have him. On, we, I know we, we put together four people for this list. He would have been five for me. Oh. Uh, I had to leave him off here. Part of it is just the optics of everything going on around that season. It just seems like there's so much dysfunction with that Bucks team, no matter how good they're playing, or at least that's the sounds coming out of it. I've said it before, I don't like his attitude toward his teammates right now uh, in terms of not going over to the bench. I did like his quote about how the equipment manager even needs to be better. Like, I do appreciate that leadership. And you can't, another guy that you can't go wrong with, and I could easily have flipped pretty much any of these four guys for Giannis at the end of the day. I just kind of went, uh, went a different route. Uh, but, you know, absolutely, he's... Uh, He's a top three player on the in the planet, um, undisputed. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that for sure. Top but he just, did, I, I and on my list for sure, uh, definitely yeah. on my list. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. Uh, if the Bucks do grab that one seed, and it still is, and he's still putting up those kind of crazy numbers again, I mean, a third MVP for him definitely puts him in some rare air. Yeah, 100. percent Who do you got at number two? Luka Doncic. Oh. It, it hurts to say it, but I think he's just totally the engine of that team. Uh, even though they are, they're the sixth seed right now, 23 and 16. Uh, he's got the second highest usage in the league, so it's still just all, everything flows through him on that team. Uh, and without him, I really think that they would be, they'd be in the play. And like we saw what Kyrie can do when he's kind of on his own. But even past that, like out, after those two guys, who on that team do you even trust to score? Grant Williams. Uh, <laughs> you would Dante you play Exum? like you say that because you play like Grant Williams. I do play like Grant Williams. <laughs> He's got uh so Luca's averaging thirty three point six points, eight rebounds, nine assists, forty eight percent from the field, thirty eight percent from three. He's got a twenty seven point five player efficiency rating, which is def which is near the top. Most guys that finish around there are MVPs. Uh, he's third in VORP. I know you love those uh, th- those uh, those acronym that stats, word. that value over to replacement player. Uh, but really, the, the experiment in Dallas is going better than I expected for sure, especially the way they finished last season. Uh, they're two and three without him, and they just recently lost to Memphis. Uh, with win- And their only two wins are against Portland and New York. So even without him, they still do kind of have their own struggles and issues. So it fully goes through him. Luca's gonna get an MVP one of these years, and this year's it's as good as any. It's a great case. I mean, those those counting stats are absolutely ridiculous. He's he's just like Jokic, another one of those guys that are almost averaging a triple double. And I mean, I we always talk about it, but Russell Westbrook kind of diminished the the importance of a triple double. Uh, but just feel like those two guys, Jokic and Luca, are doing it in a way that is just like. It's very necessary. Like they, they absolutely need those crucial rebounds. Luca's time in and time out had insane rebounds. Obviously, his passing is is one to none. Um, I, I think that's a great pick right there, and definitely somebody that I want in my third place position. But I'm actually going to take the guy from OKC, Shea Gilgis Alexander. He played 36 out of 37 games this year. His years of not hitting 65 games were directly from getting shut down from his team. So I don't think we have much to worry about there. But we want to talk about value to team. You want to talk about team success? 
will look no further than our guy SGA, leading his team to the second seed in the highly competitive Western Conference. Shea has continually put up big-time performances time in and time out again to get there. Three weeks ago, he had his quote-unquote moment where he hit the game winner against the Denver Nuggets, so he's got that in his back pocket. In crunch time, he's shooting 63% on 30 attempts. I mean, this includes a domination of the entire game where he averages 31.5 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds on a stupid 55% field goal percentage as a fucking point guard. And one of my favorite parts about SGA is his ability to read passing lanes, leading the league in steals at 2.3 a game uh, currently. Just, just mucking it up for the entire team's defense. And it's not even purely passing lanes. A lot of it's just quick hands, just disturbing the point guard on the other team while they're trying to set up their offense. Helps out a ton. And like I said, I'm I'm a vibes guy. And you want to talk about vibes? Shea's probably the best American basketball player in the league at the moment. Uh, sorry, Tatum. Uh, and his confidence absolutely rubs off on his teammates. And... You know, the bars that he drops on his Instagram captions to always, like, publicly gassing up his teammates. It's Shay's team, and nobody in that organization would have it any other way. I have to – I got I to gotta correct you on something there. Um, what? SGA's Canadian. Oh, shit. North American. Yeah. North American. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> there sorry. you go. Best, no, that's I'll North take American. it. I'll take that's it. American. But, yeah. <laughs> So I had I had S, I had SGA as my as my fourth. So I'm just gonna jump in and kind of give my thoughts on him here. Yeah. Uh, from an he has the advanced stats case, second in VORP behind Joker, third in box plus minus. He's got the the team success case, second in the West, the third best record in the league, and they could easily make a run for the top seed. They're .5 games back from the Timberwolves right now. Mm-hmm. He's only missed one game. Uh, and he's just he, he's a scoring maestro. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He's just a longer Kyrie Irving, and I think he, you could clearly see the influence that that guy's had on his game. And just with his frame, it just works even better. Uh, if the Thunder stay near the top of the league, I think he's a shoe in for the award. Like it just makes sense. I think people would be ready to kind of give it to this guy. And the the Thunder are appointment viewing at this point in the season. They're probably the most fun oh, team yeah. in the league to watch. I know we both love J Dub, who's by the way, J-Dub and SGA are both in the top five in points per possession on isolations this year, which is just J-Dub crazy. J-Dub J-Dub at two? Like, insane. On, man. And so I'm totally with you there with the Thunder uh, the Thunder and SGA. Uh, definitely, he, he's got a, a great case to win the award this year. And first team All-NBA, almost guaranteed. 1,000%. And it's just like you want to go at any aspect. Well, we talked about team success this whole time right here, but just on a purely individualistic standpoint, I mean, who the fuck can stay in front of Shea Gilgis-Alexander? I haven't seen one person stay in front of him. The, the amount of jerky moves that he's able to do, how quick he is off of the first step. Uh, every his, time the way he can the just snake through the lane, his change of direction is perfect. And he's what? He's 6'7". Like, it's ridiculous. Six, it's crazy. Seven. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, and, and every time he comes through, his, his passing ability is almost underrated at this point because, like you said, his height that he's at is able to look over defenses. And, you know, when he comes down the floor, he's not looking at that first defender ever, ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. If you watch him play, he's always looking at the second guy. Where's that help coming from? Where's the help coming from? Just as all the greatest players of all time do. So I think I think that's a good pick right there from my and, end. And, I think that's good you have a four. And he's got great Instagram captions. So he he's got bars. it all. He's got it all. He's got it bars. all. He's got the vibes. He's got the stats. He's, and he's, the he's not scared of it. He called out Steph in an Instagram post. Like, he that, that, like he he's ready for it, and I Bro. love to see it. And then won the next game after that. I thought Steph was going to come out with some fire, and then won the Hell next no. game after yeah. that. Is he, the, is he the best point guard in the league? Oh. Based on this, based on what we're talking about right now, bro, oh. has he taken Steph's crown? Oh. 
Yes. I think so too, man. Oh. I think so. This season alone, it has to be. Uh, so for my last guy, this was technically third on my list. So my list goes Embiid, Luka, Joker, SGA. Uh, so just wanted to throw a, a few more thoughts on Joker. I know you mentioned it before. He leads the league in basically every advanced stat you can think of. VORP, OBPM, DPPM. You've already listed out all his counting numbers. Uh, he assists on 44% of all field goals when he's on the court. The only person <laughs> ahead of him is Halliburton. Who Halliburton's at 50%, which That's is cr- what is absolutely insane. Uh, I still think there that... You know, Jamal Murray's only played 26 of 40 games. Aaron Gordon got attacked by a literal dog and is missing time because of that. And like I mentioned before, they have to play DeAndre Jordan some nights. Uh, and But I still think they're the best bet to win it all. Like, it's just... just So, like you said, Joker, Joker you, you can't go wrong with him. Yeah, I mean, prove me wrong, somebody else. He absolutely feels that way. He's just going to go in. And it, it seems like a team... I know we talked about it on a phone call before, but it seems like he's... I'm not trying to be too far ahead of myself, but it's almost a LeBron effect. I mean, we've seen this team go up and ramp it up in the playoffs, whether it be defensively or offensively. And, you know, with the team being a little bit, like, lower on the totem pole at the moment in the regular season, they're still, what, third seed right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking A. It's, I mean, I, I'll, yeah. take I'll take Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, going into my Dark Horse candidate, I, I think you'd be a little bit surprised by this one, but I, I do have a case. I do have a case. <clears throat> Kevin Durant. Playing 31 out of 38 games this year might be a tricky case, uh, you know, with, in terms of the injuries and then obviously with the team's success at the moment. But hear me out. I'm aware the Suns are seven games behind the Timberwolves, so that one seed. But in this wild Western Conference, it truly seems like, you know, you never know what kind of team could skid. Barring injury, you can absolutely see someone just, just taking a shit in terms of those teams. But... The Phoenix Suns have dealt with injury luck with Bradley Beal and even Booker in a lot of their games. Uh, KD playing the most out of those two, uh, out of those three. But you know who's been fairly consistent, keeping our heads above water? It's been Kevin Durant, averaging 29 points, six and a half rebounds, and six assists on 52, 47, 88 shooting splits. These are the kind of numbers that traditionally do win MVPs. And with the Suns maybe looking like they figured out some sort of formula to win games with this big three. KD having the chance to pull a 50-49 season out of his ass. It'd be my pick for the Dark Horse candidate for the 2024 MVP. I love it. I would be absolutely thrilled. Like, let's start the campaign now for sure. Uh, The case against it, uh, one of them would be, if he won it, he'd be the oldest MVP ever. He'd be older than Carl Malone in in his season. Uh, Your goat. (laughs) Fuck you. The, and then also, like you said, the team success. Another part of it is playing with Booker. Who, how many people are going to think Booker's the real MVP versus KD? It's a little bit not quite as clear. Uh, but it, I would love to see it. The numbers that you laid out, he's going to have the case. If they can climb up in the standings, I think it's going to be very hard to, to leave him off of the ballot. Yep, I think you're right. Well, that's going to wrap up our MVP talks. If we can just do a little uh, rundown, do it one more time, TJ. Who were your top four? Joel Embiid, number one. Luka Doncic two, followed by Joker at three, and then rounding it out with Shea Gildress Alexander. Nikola Jokic at one, Giannis Antetokounmpo at two, Shea Gildress Alexander at three, and Kevin Durant at four. But it's gonna wrap it up for our MVP talks. Coming up next, we got some interesting, interesting stuff to talk about. We're gonna be talking about the blowouts that have been currently happening in the league, and some, you know, some spicy trades. Coming up next. I told James Harden he was a bitch, and James Harden and hey Joel, he's dominant, but James Harden, you're a bitch. And we're back, and we're talking about 
the blowouts that we've seen. TJ, we've seen some crazy scores this past week. Let me read you some of the absurd one-sided games we've had just since Monday. Starting with our precious Phoenix Suns losing to the LA Clippers, 138-111, to 27-point loss. Knicks beat the Blazers by 28. Kings beat the Hornets by 25. Pelicans annihilate the Warriors by 36. Bucks mollywop the Celtics by 33. Spurs beat the Hornets last night by 36. And my favorite, the juiciest, the tastiest. The fifth largest point differential in league history. The Blazers get lit on fire, burned to the ground, and their ashes stomped on by the Thunder in a 62-point loss. 62! At Scoot Henderson now has the honor of holding the second worst plus minus in the game with minus 56, which is just absolutely disgusting right there. The, the viewing experience hasn't been awesome, but I, I only included games that were lost by 25 points or more. And, and believe me, when I say there are many, many ones that I skipped over that were 18 to 23 point losses uh, looking at the same game this week. So TJ, I wanted to present three theories to you as to why we might be seeing so many blowouts this season or just this time of year at least. But firstly, I have to preface something. We have to acknowledge a straight-up fact. Uh, I mean, it's undeniable at this point. Some of the old heads might not want to hear it, but the NBA currently has the highest level and amount of people that can hit difficult shots at a high percentage. Point Blake, period, no argument. This is evident by the fact that the top 12 highest league average field goal percentage seasons are from the late 70s and all the seasons in between 1990, which makes sense considering the shots that were taken and the fast breaks with less possessions, right? Well, number 13 and 14 are this season and last season. And with the influx of threes being taken, that just means that guys are able to hit shots from fucking everywhere. So we got that down that the league on average can hit shots, right? So... Can there I throw in theories. a couple? Can I throw in a couple things there too, just in yeah, terms yeah. of that shot making? I don't know if you're going to touch on this. I don't want to step no, on your yeah. toes too much, but tell me. It's also it's the best three point percentage in NBA history so far, uh, tied with 2021. It's the best effective field goal percentage in NBA history on only the 19th best pace since 1974. Uh, best offensive rating all time, uh, including like eight the top eight all time for a single team or from this season alone. Yep. Uh, the lowest turnover percentage since the data says 1970, but there's a couple of years there where that data just looks wonky, where it's at like 1.2%, and then it jumps up to like 12. But so it's the lowest. So guys are protecting the ball better than ever and shooting the ball better than ever. So it, take us into our theories. I just wanted to make yeah. like, the numbers back up that guys are better. No, 1,000%. So theory one, with the NBA officially being in its dog days point post-Christmas, Guys' names are being mentioned in trade rumors. Losses are starting to stack up. Teams will therefore lack consistency and nights when to exhibit maximum effort. For example, we saw the Portland Trailblazers lose three times this week by over 20 points, knowing damn well that they're attempting to tank this year with a rebuilding roster. So they show up disgruntled and not a lot to play for. It sounds simple, but with the increase in league talent and teams' abilities to get hot from behind the arc, low effort, low effort will get punished severely, right? So theory two. With the new 65-game limit that the NBA has placed on teams for awards, coaches are willing to give guys nights off when they're technically not giving them nights off. Say there's a slow start and a team is getting destroyed going into the half, we're seeing coaches more likely to start the bench going into the second half, and as we did with Boston versus Milwaukee. So, a loophole in the load management rule. That's theory two. Theory three. The combination of teams getting hot from three and officiating, with the three-point shot being so hard to genuinely contest without fouling in the year of 2024, when a team gets hot behind the arc, the only thing you can hope for is that you're just as good from behind the three. 
historically, you know, in the 2000s, 90s, 80s, go as far, far back as you want. Teams were able to get back into games by being uber physical and just increasing energy on the defensive side of the ball to get stops. But it might be demoralizing when you're trying to be physical with, say, Jalen Brown. When he's coming off a screen, you get too touchy and foul him while he's going up for a three, giving him a shot for a four-point play. So, I mean, what are you thinking, TJ? Is it, is it just the dog days era that we're currently in? Is it going to go ahead and be the, the new load management rule? Or do you think it's going to be the, the physical side not being able to, to you know insert yourself in a game? Yeah, so I think it, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but it's definitely a mix of all of those pieces. Uh, specifically with the first one, I, maybe I don't put as much weight into that one just because these trade rumors happen every year and those guys do get disgruntled. We've had plenty of tanking teams. It does feel like we have the the gap between like the middle class and the lower class is very big this year in terms of just how much worse the Wizards, Spurs, Pistons, Hornets are than everybody and the Blazers, right? Uh, so part of that definitely is the, just the disgruntledness of knowing that, hey, we don't even really have a chance tonight. Maybe that call that a bad mentality, but that's definitely a part of it. Uh, the, the second piece you mentioned, the load management part. Yeah, it does seem like sky, like that the against the Suns with that Lakers game the other night. None of their starters played in the fourth. Uh, they are giving that guy, those guys some extra rest when it does maybe just waving the white flag a little bit earlier. Um, and your what the the last point? Can you refresh me on what that last one was? Yeah, just the the last one was just like that in terms of officiating, people aren't allowed. Oh to, yes, yes, know, yes, about the, the physicality. Yeah, where you yeah. could. Yeah, now you either have to hope that you start hitting shots or they start missing shots. That that's really what it comes down to. Uh, you just can't you you can't force them into misses as well as you maybe could when you back in the get back in the day when the game was a little bit more physical. Um, definitely a mix of all those things. The number one thing that I would point to, though, is just the the, the higher level of shot making. Uh, it, they always talk about kind of uh, every game is just re- about regressing to the mean on just what your average kind of makes are. And that can, uh, when the teams already shoot high percentages, that means they're going to have nights where they shoot 50, 60% from three. And on the opposite end, you're going to have nights where you shoot 25% from three. And some days, those things can just overlap at the wrong time, and it just leads to some really lopsided scores. Yeah, no, I think it's real. I mean, I wouldn't say it's uh, necessarily epidemic yet. Um, it hasn't super. I, I've still been enjoying some of the games that we watched. I mean, obviously, the Suns blowout was fun just as a Suns fan. <laughs> But, you know, we, we've had our, cl- our close games uh, recently here. You know, we had a one-point game yesterday. We had a one-point game the day before then. Um, so, you know, it, it could definitely be worse. But we'll definitely keep an eye out as a podcast to see if this blowout uh, thing get, gets a little worse uh, coming down the stretch of the season. But I know you had some fun stuff to talk about, some of your favorite things, which is trades. Talk to me. Ooh. I really felt like I was trying to cook up some, some good deals on this one. Um, kept the Suns out of it. I've said it a bunch of times. We just don't have the pieces. I tried to figure out something. Nothing that can really make sense because, like, we're not going to trade Nurkic. We're not going to trade Grayson Allen. Uh, and then everyone else is just making negligible amounts of money to get somebody, like, get some real pieces back. Uh, so this first one, you know, I, I don't love doing this, but this is one's going to definitely help the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, my first trade piece is Dallas bringing in Pascal Siakam from Toronto. Mm. Uh so this is how it could break down. The, 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 the Mavericks have a couple of options to get this done. Um, this is the one that I thought might be the most realistic. Uh, Dallas can give up Tim Hardaway Jr. and Rashawn Holmes, both with two years left on their deal, and Markeith Morris on an expiring, plus their 2025 first rounder and their 2025 second that actually came from Toronto originally, so they're just getting their pick back. 
And then Toronto would just have to give up Pascal Siakam. Uh, the Mavericks, they get to keep Grant Williams. The other version of the trade is Grant Williams in place of Holmes and Morris. So maybe Toronto wants to bring him in. I don't necessarily know why. Uh, he's just got a little bit more time left on his deal. Uh, but I think Dallas, it gives them a much better presence inside and another kind of go-to scorer. So I think that three would be very vicious. I think he would fit great next to Derek Lively into their starting lineup. You push Grant Williams to the bench. Sorry, Grant. That's just kind of how it goes. You're not as good as Pascal Siakam. Uh, and then Toronto, they just get a chance on Hardaway Jr. Rashawn Holmes. It just breaks up that Siakam contract into some more manageable trade pieces. Or if they're just going to kind of eat those next two years. And then Markeith Morris, hey, he's making you know that $2.4 million a year. He'll be gone next year. So who do you think? Do you think these teams would agree to that? Who who do you think says no first? Kind of how, how do you feel about this? Because I just think that'd be the best fit for Siakam. No, I, I kind of love this a lot. I mean, just looking at it from the Dallas point of view, I mean, it, it's absolutely going to help having that four position filled by somebody other than Grant Williams. I mean, not to say Pascal Siakam is the greatest three point shooter in the world. Uh, I mean, but he's basically on par with Grant Williams, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, just having somebody who's able to create, uh, you know, his own shot if need be, or play that position as we've seen him do in the 2019 Raptors championship team, him being a little younger version of himself, but he absolutely could play that third uh, that third option role. And I think it would allow Kyrie Irving to go ahead and play his position a little bit more, you know, with Tim Hardaway Jr., you know, being gone and just and replacing it with more size. I mean, Grant Williams is a huge guy. You know, a lot of people like to say that not a slower down of some of the larger players in the league. Like we, we saw him on Boston, you know, they just have a great scheme overall. So it might've been slightly mm -hmm. misleading, but Grant Williams did as best as he could against guys like Giannis or Joel Embiid when it came down to that position. But mm -hmm. man, I think I would like Pascal Siakam a little bit more there. Um, I, I hear what you mean with the Grant Williams stuff um, of him not being thrown into that trade, but Toronto would in my opinion, be the first to say no, just because I think that they might be going for slightly retooling after after what we've seen with R.J. Barrett being over there, but and quickly just absolutely killing it over there. He's looking like a, a real starting point guard in this league, uh, which we'd seen in New York, him coming off the bench just being an absolute talent. But, man, it, it would, if I had to, to, to say who says no, it would be Toronto. But, man, I don't see that off the table nice. whatsoever. No, my, my only counter to you saying to Toronto saying no would be that this can match up with the Scotty Barnes IQ timeline a little bit better uh, if those guys do think they're going to be kind of corner pieces on good teams. Uh, just with those guys expiring in those next two years, that frees up like $30 million in, in cap space coming up. So I think that could be the, the one counter to that is, hey, we're not maybe retooling for now. And we're just going to kind of continue to get Scotty Barnes rest, but then you can make a run at a bigger uh, a bigger name later in the seat uh, in a couple of years from now. But definitely sure. understand that Siaka. No, you know, can I we counter, counter you yeah, real quick? Go ahead. <laughs> I, the only thing is, is just Toronto has historically not been able to sign uh, you know people coming over there to get them over in, in Canada in the cold, harsh winters over there. Those, but those damn taxes. Those damn, <laughs> those damn taxes. But I mean, if you know Scotty Barnes continues to improve. I can see someone maybe on that, you know, the the middle class, you know, edging at that higher class in terms of superstardom, taking a chance on that team because I really like what they have going on over there, and I'm sure somebody else will too. So I really like that one. I would love to see that for both teams as an NBA fan. Would absolutely despise it as a Suns fan. Yeah, and that's kind of how you know it's a good trade if we would yep. just we're like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so coming in with the next trade. This one is going to solve all of the Warriors' problems Whoa. and all the Lakers' problems and all the Bulls' problems. 
I know I'm still helping out West teams, but these are just the most interesting trades going on right now. Is is Draymond still going to be around Golden State? What's going on with the Bulls and trying to get rid of their guys? The Lakers definitely could use some help. So this one, got a three-teamer coming for you. Uh, didn't include any picks in this one. I don't think it's necessary, although whatever. If teams want to throw in some junk, they definitely can. Uh the, the only caveat is that a couple of these guys can't be traded for a couple days until January 15th. So if you throw this in the trade machine today, it'll say no. But I promise you, it could get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, starts off with Golden State bringing in Vucevic and Rui Hachimura. Uh, mm-hmm. meant, they, they put out there that they want to find a seven-footer that can score. Uh, and I think Rui just gives them some much-needed size. Not Obviously not going to fill the Draymond role, but plays that same position. It will be definitely be a big body that can help them out. Uh, in turn, Chicago would bring in Wiggins and D'Lo. Both the Lakers and Golden State would just be kind of punting on these two guys as far as a part of their future. Uh, doesn't net the contracts aren't great for Chicago in terms of them being expirings, but it does kind of help them move around. And uh, this is where you know some teams would most likely have to send some picks to Chicago, but that could definitely kind of get worked out. And then finally, the Lakers would need to bring in Draymond Green, Alex Caruso, and the Suns legend Javon Carter. So Draymond, Draymond gets to go play with his little bestie, the Warriors <laughs> retool, and the Bulls just punt and say, hey, give us the highest draft pick we can get. Uh, I know it does sound kind of insane. We don't often see these kind of deals with, with the three teams. They aren't, they're pretty rare, but I think that it's the right move for the Warriors, it's the right move for Chicago, and it's the right move for the Lakers. Hmm. So the pushback that I have immediately, and I think that every Lakers fan would tell you, is that they they really would like somebody <clears throat> to coming onto the team with better shooting and you know none of those three guys that you did mention are necessarily amazing shooters we've seen javon carter have fairly decent three-point shooting outs but i'm, I'm just not sure how how reliable he's going to be as a whole um i mean as an nba fan i would hey, love Al- to see draymond green alex caruso shooting 40 percent from three this year i'm saying I'm, though I'm, you know you know the lebron effect how, how many how many was caruso hitting when he was on the lakers Okay, let's let's see. He was he shot he shot forty eight percent from three, thirty three percent, and forty percent with the Lakers. So oh, fuck. retract re- retract my statement. Well, I mean, okay, and it, defense, and he adds all that defense. So the only problem defense. there is Lakers fans wouldn't know which white would vote for the All Star team. <laughs> That's the biggest issue with that. No, you're you're, you're probably right, um, man. Well, I mean. I'm I'm not super 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 opposed to that. Uh, Vucevic going on to the Warriors. I know that's what they said they want to do, and this is gonna be a new era without Bob Myers, um, but I think with Dun Dunleavy instead. But have we just ever seen the Warriors been really good with with like a skilled three like a skilled five man? Like I'm just trying to think. Like even with Demarcus Cousins, I know he got injured, but I mean it, it looked okay. Uh, I just you know with, with the most success, you look at all those championship teams. It was guys like Kevon Looney, it was guys like Andrew Bogut out there, it was guys like Javale McGee. So, I mean, I would like to see it. Don't get me wrong, but let's go ahead and do it. But I do think hey. that. Hmm. Well, what the Warriors are doing now just isn't working. So that's probably the biggest reason is that they do just need to change something up, and maybe and I think getting rid of Draymond is a big piece of that. So we'll see if Dan Levy has the cojones to even move Draymond because we know he's getting a statue. Yeah, no, no, no. I think, I, I think, and I think Dunleavy would be a guy that would be willing to do that. Um, as you know, I'm a bigger Draymond Green supporter than the average person. Obviously, don't support the shit that he's been on recently, but I do think that he brings a, an edge to this team. And with Chris Paul being hurt, who would? So they would only get Vooch. They would get Vooch and Rui Hachimura. And Rui Hachimura, okay. 
Yeah, man, the only thing is though, man, it's just like if CP3 is going to be it, hurt, it would be wait. Yeah, it would be waiting to get that playmaking. That would be the part that hurts with Draymond. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they were winning many games with Draymond. They didn't win many games without him. And at this point in his career, I hearing Draymond talk about these most recent incidents and his attitude saying that he was going to retire because they said he needs to stop punching people in the face. Like, I don't think he's going to change. I would put it at, it, within within a month of him being back, he's going to have an incident. I, I promise you. It's going to yeah. happen again. I, I would almost guarantee it. The only way it doesn't is a, a change of space. LeBron is definitely not going to let that shit fly. And we all know how much Draymond loves that guy. So, Hey, I mean, <clears throat> maybe you're right. Um, I might I might like the Pascal one just a little bit more. But like I said, as an NBA fan, I might like this one more just in terms of what it brings, all the content that we could talk about with, with that one. I mean, just the, the Draymond and LeBron thing alone would be fucking awesome to see. Just all, all the memes that come with it. Um, with Chicago, I mean... I don't know if Andrew Wiggins just needs a new space, a new a, a new environment because it's not looking good at all. This is historically his worst season of his entire career currently going on right now. So I definitely need to move on from Wiggins if possible. Um, and the, you know. I think the Lakers need to move on from D'Lo bad. Yeah, I think like I, just move, if there was a way they could just do Caruso for D'Lo, like I think they would do that a hundred percent. No, you're right. Um, I don't think I disagree. Uh, I mean, Doc Rivers talked about it recently on the Bill Simmons podcast where he was talking about how D'Lo coming off the bench, just being a pure Lou Williams type guy, just having all the freedom in the world for those, what, four minutes that he's in the game might work for them. I'm not sure how much the Lakers have really tried that. I mean, he he was one. He was he the leading scorer in this last Suns versus Lakers? He was. Game? He was. Yeah. So, not I mean, by, he didn't have a lot, but he was no, the leading he scorer. He didn't. Um, so, like I said, I mean, I see the vision. Don't get me wrong. I definitely see the vision. I, I would like it for all of these teams in some parts, but man, I don't know. We, we've seen before trying to make these big drastic moves. We've never seen Golden State make a big drastic move in the middle of a season in their tenure of uh, of being mm-hmm. an organization that's been winning championships in the last eight years. So we'll see. We'll see. But, so the Siakam trade ranks number one, number two here, but maybe what, what is this third one we're looking at? DeJounte Murray gets a taste of heat culture. Oh. And I love this one. I think this is my favorite. Uh, oh. The picks the picks are a little bit... Uh, we could, again, wiggle around the, the draft picks in this one as well to make it balance out. But basically, the Heat would send the Hawks, Duncan Robinson and Josh Richardson. They get a couple of movement shooters that can just space the floor for Trey and help open more lanes for the dunker spot. The problem with DeJounte Murray, he's not, he's not as much of a catch-and-shoot player. He needs the ball in his hand to kind of create, which mm-hmm. I think would help the heat tremendously having him as their starting point guard just having some extra ball but some extra playmaking abilities in there some extra scoring especially with all the nights that jimmy butler seems to be taking off uh that's all miami would be getting back is Dejounte murray but i think with his defense uh his defense has fallen off in the last couple years people have made jokes about how if you're just a defender at one point in your career you can kind of live with just that having that that title floating around you So I think by getting back into the heat, I think they would bring that best out of him. And I think Duncan's trade value is at a really high point right now. We've seen him play a lot better, a lot more. You know, he dribbles a lot more than he used to. I know it sounds silly, but when he was just kind of a a catch-and-shoot purely guy, when now he can do a little bit more things with the ball. Uh, There would be some overlap with Duncan and uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich over there in Atlanta. Or Bohan. Wait, is Bo? Which one is in? Whichever one of the, whichever one it is. Yeah. The younger one. Yes. Um, 
but I think it, it would fit. It would work great for the Hawks. Who knows if it would kind of catapult them further? But it doesn't seem like the having those two guards next to each other has been very helpful. And Josh Richardson being a little bit better defender next to him might help, uh, while also just playing more off ball. I mean, I, I think I like it a lot, and it's really interesting that I haven't heard this trade be thrown at at all uh, in any way. You always hear about the Dejounte Murray potentially to the Lakers, uh, stuff like that, but. Man, I think I think if Spo would be on board with it, and he thinks yes, I can do something with this Dejounte Murray kid. Um, man, I, I think they can absolutely make it work. I, I would love to see Dejounte in that because I, I had a lot of high hopes for him. I'll be honest, TJ. I mean, like when he was at San Antonio yeah. coming over, I really thought that he was going to be you know the X factor and work really good with Trey. But as you said, that he needs the ball in his hands, uh, pure and flat out, and it would be a great addition over the fucking forty-seven-year-old Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Kyle. Shows big playoff moments. He'll give you a charge every once in a while. He's just not the same guy. He's not the same guy, and that's okay. Um, but I think he'd be an awesome veteran presence to still have on the roster. But, you know, having someone like DeJounte, it would fit the timeline a little bit better. Uh, I, I don't know if you could fact check me real quick, but I think he's around 26, 27 years old. And that I, I want to say he's 27. I think, he, I think he's 27 as well. Uh, and just that would just be perfect timing for those, you know, Bam being a young young guy to Jimmy Butler getting to that middle to late prime of his career at the moment. And I, I think it would be awesome. The defense would really ramp up, and, and Miami's already known for having a stellar defense, especially in the playoffs. So it'd bring a lot to the table. I really like that one. I think that might be my number one as well. Yeah, and again, uh, DeJounte, he's averaging 21 points and five assists so far this season, shooting uh, 47, 39, and 81. Uh, so if just him getting him getting more touches and more shots is going to be great for him. Uh, I've personally seen him drop 40 live and in person, and it looks awesome. I, I, I do love the way, the way DeJounte Murray plays the game. Uh, it would be awesome to have him on the Suns. It's just not <laughs> possible. I did yeah. try, but... I think this would definitely kind of this would shake things up in the East for sure. Yeah, it would get them out of that, that lower playing spot that they're currently at, and I think I think it's very necessary. Just being honest with all of our listeners, not a huge Trey Young guy in the way that he plays, but man, I'll take it. I I, I think I think it would work a lot better with with those pieces around him and just being the absolute main focus guy and having another role player like Josh Richardson. Um, but yeah, I, those are some really good trades. You weren't lying. You were cooking with those, my guy. Good shit. Hey. You know how it goes. We need to send these in, man. We need to send these in. These need to happen tomorrow, bro. I agree. All right. So we're going to wrap up this trade segment and league-wide news segment, and we're going to go in just quickly hitting on our four scores, one of our favorite segments around here coming up next. And we're back with four scores and seven days ago. TJ, lay us with the games that we're going over. All right. Starting off with one that got mentioned a little bit earlier in the pod. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Portland Trailblazers, 139-77. 62-point loss, as you mentioned before. Fifth worst point differential all time. Uh, so I had to throw that in there. It's been a week of blowouts, so we're probably going to get a few more in here as well. Uh, the next one, the New Orleans Pelicans blast the struggling Golden State Warriors, 141-105. to Their struggles just continue and continue and continue. Uh, they might need to make some trades to get some new pieces in. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, the next one was Milwaukee getting back at Boston. As some will remember, uh, that score finished 135-102. Uh, but the last time that they had played was Milwaukee was on a back-to-back, and the Boston Celtics beat the shit out of them. So they mm-hmm. even up the series there. 
Uh, it just seems like everyone just assumes if you're on a back-to-back, you just can't win. Apparently, nobody's ever won a back-to-back before. Uh, <laughs> but it does seem like it. You know, watching the watching these games, it does feel like that has an impact. Um, and then the last one is the Pacers edging Boston 131 to 132 without Pause. Halliburton and with <laughs> without Halliburton and without Jason Tatum. As we know, Halliburton left that game early with an injury, uh, but they're still able to get it done against the best team in the uh, the East. So, out of those four, which one's the spiciest? Which one means the most? Just kind of where, where are you feel? What are you feeling? Um, man, these these are actually really great uh, really great picks. I did happen to watch almost all of these. Uh, just on happenstance. Uh, I, I watched the highlights of the OKC versus Portland game just because I'm a big history guy. I love hi- historically ass, historically good. Give me it. I, I, need, I need all of it. Um, I really thought it was interesting. And like I talked about earlier, the lowest, uh, the, the second worst plus minus with Scoot Henderson being there was absolutely insane to me. Um, it, it just goes to show OKC is more than confident with handling business. Um, so that, that has to be up there for in terms of spiciest for me personally. The one that means the most to me, though, and it was a game that I watched from start to finish every single possession, was the Pacers versus Celtics game. And and the reason why I want to bring this up is because, you know, this Indiana Pacers team has been questioned. You know, Tyrese Halliburton is known as an engine, not, not just one of the guys, a part of an engine. He is the engine of this team. And to see them go ahead and pull out this win, even with Jason Taylor not playing that game, I still thought it was huge for that team to go ahead and get a win. Just because, you know, we saw the shippiness. We, we talked about it a little bit Tuesday, but the Pacers and the Celtics don't like each other. Uh, we, we've seen it time and time and again. Um, Naismith, who was a former Celtic who got drafted by them, just talking the whole time to Joe Missoula, talking the whole time to the bench. Just something awesome to see from that point of view. Um I really like that. And then the Warriors game is probably going to be third on there just because this team is awful. And in terms of matchups, the Pelicans are probably the worst uh, for the Warriors, especially with Draymond being out, especially with Chris Paul being out. Um, It it just really goes to show that these bigger and stronger teams can figure out ways and how to just bully the Warriors. Um, Steph's been in a slump since the start of the new year, averaging, I think, only 23 points on really horrid shooting. I mean, they're, they're comparing Kobe White and Steph now. Like, they're, they're comparing <laughs> one of my goats to Kobe White. And I'm as big of a Kobe White guy as you'll find around, but golly, man. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to go ahead and say that in terms of spiciest, the loss, and in terms of the most important, it's going to be that Pacers for Celtics game. I want to hear your opinions, though. What, what would you choose? I know you picked the games, but what, what was the most meaningful to you? I think the most meaningful is the Warriors' loss. Yeah. Uh, just how bad that it has been for them. Um, it just is really weird. I know when they were, like, in those, before they won their first title in 2015, the talk was, oh, they're just a jump shooting team. You just, if you're just bully, if you just bully them and you're rough with them, you'll be able to handle them. And we're finally seeing that come to fruition <laughs> four, four championships later. Uh, so it's kind of just reaping what you sow when you built a team around this, and then guys aren't as good of shooters as they were. The, the the system isn't as crispy as it once was. We all know the struggles with the, all the issues going on with uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. Uh, so I thought that means the most as far as just the the, the status of the league as a whole. Um, I'm absolutely here for it. I was always a Warriors hater. Uh, I tried to be a Kevin Durant fan, but it was tough for those years, man. Um, I told you yesterday, I'm kind of a Steph hater too, for whatever reason. I'm just not into it. Uh, so I think that that's kind of the I, the Warriors aren't the the same franchise that we've seen win all these titles. Yeah, and like I said, I got a video dropping tomorrow talking about the fall of the Golden State Warriors. So I'm. I'm all for it. Uh, that loss really helped me. There's going to be a lot more search engines of why the Warriors are ass. So 
I'm really, really, really excited to see that. One random take I wanted to get off is I am still a Jonathan Kaminga believer. I know who the fuck are you to go ahead and say <laughs> publicly outing, but who knows He's what's like, going on behind the scenes? It's like is that is that is him saying that worse or better than Jay Crowder demanding a trade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same well, energy. Who's the one guy on Philly that was like, I demand a trade and he's still been on there for like five years who just never gets any tick? Have you heard about that? Shit. Yes, I think I think I know what you're talking about. I Fucking can't remember hilarious. the name off my head at the top of my head. Bro's been stuck on the roster, not even getting sent down to G League, just straight up, just stuck there. So I don't want to be here anymore. Please get me the fuck out of here. Um but I think that's going to go ahead and wrap up our podcast, guys. Um, thank you so much for sticking with us through all the way to the end to this well over an hour pod. Um, we got some good stuff coming in 2024. Thumbnails should be improved here in a little bit. We got some cute looking photos of both of us. So coming soon, coming soon. Any last words, TJ? Nah, feeling good, fellas. Let's let's see what the Suns can get done this next week, and we'll check back in with you guys on uh, on Monday. Actually, on on MLK Day, we got some got some content coming back for you. Yes, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as always. Have a phenomenal rest of your day.